When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So I was riding the bus the other day and playing some music, you know, the song, I Still Hate You. Who could find that objectionable? But sure enough, a couple people on the bus got really mad at me for it. Well, because it's not a very positive message, right? It's loud, it's obnoxious, and so people don't want to hear that. And as you know, we talked about making that the theme song for Positively Trek, but I Still Hate You just didn't seem like the right song for (laughs) Positively Trek. Probably not. Probably not. Yeah, like you said, this is Positively Trek. I'm Dan Gunther. With me, of course, is Bruce Gibson, the other voice you just heard. Bruce, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Um, I was telling you before the show that my daughter got into her dream school, which I've been hearing about for four freaking years. <laughs> so so cool. Finally yeah. done. So yeah, we're all happy today. That's awesome. And and congratulations to her and, and to the rest of your family and stuff. That's so awesome. That's really great. Yes. Now I just have to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Yep. The, the, the dream of every parent. <laughs> yes, but it's going to be worth it. So, because it's definitely worth it to her. Oh, excellent. Well, that's really great news. That's awesome. Speaking of news, let's get right into the news this week. The Star Trek news, that is. Let's jump right in with the motion picture. So, the motion picture director's edition, it's heading to Paramount Plus on April 5th. Uh, First contact day. That's kind of cool. Not a lot to do with Star Trek, the motion picture, but it's a big day for Star Trek. So, we'll let them have it. And uh, yeah, we've been getting these comparison photos of the original, the original remaster, I guess, of the director's edition. And then this new 4K edition, these comparison pictures look gorgeous. But we've also got news about theatrical screenings of the director's edition, as well as the thing that I've been waiting for, the uh, 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray release of the director's edition for those of us who don't have Paramount Plus, who maybe live outside the States and don't get Star Trek on Paramount Plus yet, uh, we're going to be able to see that as well. So, yeah, how excited are you to get to see this new upgraded 4K edition of the director's cut of Star Trek The Motion Picture? I'm really excited about this. I, I mean, I've seen the movie before. I've seen it many times. I saw it when it came out in the theaters in its original release. And... I 
I, I just love the idea that's the director's cut. Like there was a point in time where I thought we weren't going to get something like this because when the director's cut came out, what was it like 2000, 2001? I remember then years later, I think they did a 4k release of the original cut. And I remember fans saying, Hey, what about the director's cut? And they said, well, when they did it with Robert Wise back then, they were doing this new special effects and it was more, I guess like, video and not really upgradable to 4k the way it, you know however way they did it that it wasn't going to be something that they could upgrade they'd almost have to redo it again i thought oh great well they probably won't do that and now they have so it's exciting to see it in this cut which to me is a better cut than the original and it's going to look gorgeous Everything's going to look crisp and clear. The only criticism I say is maybe it might seem a little too crisp and clear at times, maybe. I'm, I'm really excited about this. And the really cool thing about it, too, is it's not just that they went in and upgraded it to 4K and like tweaked some of the special effects and redid them so that they'd look okay in 4K. They've really gone in and kind of from the ground up redone this, which is really cool. And like reading through this article that I'll link over on Trek core that talks a bit about it. There's even some new deleted scenes, at least one new deleted scene that's going to be in the Blu-ray edition. Uh, so David C. Fine shared this on star trek.com for fans of the film. Fine also has another big surprise he revealed during the interview. There's a deleted scene that we wanted to have back 20 years ago. He said, this was Ilea and Scotty and Decker and engineering. We found some of the footage 20 years ago, but there was no audio. So there was really no point in showing the scene, but it's three or four scenes that people have wanted to see forever. So we retransferred that footage and we found out that Bob looped the dialogue for the scene. Now that scene's going to be included in the physical media release and others because he looped a few. And we found other key scenes that are just fantastic. So it sounds like there's a few scenes that are going to be included in the physical media release. I'm assuming as special features, it doesn't sound like they're going to be put back in the film, but that's pretty cool. Like, I, I feel like even if you get this on Paramount Plus, it might be worth picking up the, the physical media version just for that. Dang it. Yes, I guess so. <laughs> it's like another reason <laughs> to spend money. Yeah, because I'd like to see the deleted scene. And of course, you know, even if I didn't get it, I'm sure there's a way I'll see it or something. But I don't have a 4K TV, at least not yet. Do you? I do, yes. Okay, you do. So I'm I'm thinking I need to upgrade to a 4K TV soon. I just don't know how that's going to fly around here. Because like I said, I'm <laughs> spending money on other things now. But regardless, it's going to look great. I'm going to watch it as soon as it comes out on Paramount+. Plus. Absolutely going to watch it as soon as it comes out. And I want to go see the theatrical release that's coming up in May. Was it May 22nd? There's like three different showings, the 22nd, mm -hmm. 23rd, and 25th. And you have to go to Fandom's website to see what's available in your area. I might want to do that. But at the same time, I may have already watched it like 12 times <laughs> before that. I'm <laughs> like, do I really need to go see it there? But I almost want to see it on the big screen. Yeah, for sure. And we'll include that link to Fathom's website that that shows your local area showings and stuff. Uh, yeah, like you said, May 22nd, 23rd and 25th. That would be awesome for sure. I mean, I've never seen the motion picture, any version of it on the big screen. See, if we live near each other, I would definitely go because I'd say, Dan, you have to see this on the big screen. We're going. <laughs> and we would mm -hmm. definitely do that. But to your point, 
I've only seen it once on the big screen, and that would have been in 1979. So wow, it's yeah. been a long time. So it's almost like practically I haven't seen it on the big screen because I barely remember. Yeah. Well, if you do end up getting yourself a 4K television, and that would be funny to think that like that's what made you get the 4K TV was Star Trek The Motion Picture, the 1979 Robert Wise film. Yeah, the 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray release is going to be coming out in September, from what I've heard. So I'm going to definitely be picking that up. That's one thing that I make an exception for for my physical media is Star Trek. I do tend to collect all of Star Trek on Blu-ray or whatever the latest thing is. Someday I'll probably have to replace my entire collection with whatever holographic disc comes out or whatever. But yeah, I'll do it, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, I probably will too. Because uh, it will even look better than what I'll see on Paramount Plus. Even if I don't have a 4K TV, it'll still look great. And maybe I will have a 4K TV by then. But then looking at the remastered preview that's in this article, to what I was saying earlier, I think these new images look fantastic. I love these. But there is a point where some of them almost look too clear to me. And I, I, I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just more of like, especially V'ger. It's like, I kind of like in the original version, when you see the big V'ger ship or whatever, it almost looks mysterious and cloudy and, and, and not real clear. And I like that where this is like colors and sharp images and I can see every nook and cranny in it. And it's almost like a little too much like i i want it like it's something in between but believe me that's not something i hate it's just a preference that's all mm, no i get that yeah the the mystery of it and the, i i kind of get that for sure uh the the ship nerd in me is like i'm going to be pausing that and taking screen caps of every frame and trying to see all of those nooks and crannies but yeah i get that for sure yeah but i but at the same time it may look and will look i think fantastic as you watch it it's just i think it's gonna blow us away i mean how exciting is it that a movie from 1979 can look practically brand new yeah absolutely and i've told this story on the podcast before of how star trek the motion picture just has this really special place in my heart already so every time it gets just this little bit of a facelift and and gets sharpened up and freshened up a little bit more i i'm so happy (laughs) but then i want them to do this with the other films too i mean i know we got four 4k versions of those but maybe clean up some of the special effects the matte lines and things like that and i know this probably isn't popular or maybe it is but i do want them to do it to star trek 5 especially (laughs) (laughs) you really want to see that rock monster at the end of that movie oh eh? man i would love that (laughs) absolutely love that yeah for sure i mean i would definitely be there in line to watch it so (laughs) well i'm just thinking it might be a a re-edit with special effects could really kind of help elevate that just a little more that film well Speaking of Star Trek V The Final Frontier and the mastermind behind that film, let's talk about Star Trek Mission Chicago because that person is one of the special guests that's going to be at that convention. And I've been wanting to talk a little bit about this convention on the show more than we have just because it's the new official Star Trek convention and probably the the most important, the biggest guest they're going to be having at the show is, of course, our own Bruce Gibson, 
who's going to be hosting a panel there on Star Trek books. And uh, we're de- we definitely want to talk about that, too. But, yeah, this Mission Chicago convention, they've announced a whole bunch of guests. And I'm really sad that I can't make it to this this year. A, because I won't get to hang out with you, Bruce, in person and be on that panel. And B, the guests they have, this looks incredible. There's some people on here that don't usually do a lot of Star Trek conventions. And also, I've never been to Chicago. So, you know, I'd love to go for all of those reasons. Yeah, I mean, I wish you were going to be there for sure. I'm just picturing how a lot of people will come up to me and we'll be talking. And they'll be like, oh, I wish Dan were here because <laughs> you know, they're going to think <laughs> of you when they're seeing me. And mm. and yeah, but at least I, I, I'm for me, it's just about the fact that I really haven't done anything big that's been fun in the last couple of years since COVID. And yeah, I've traveled a little bit here and there as my daughter was looking at schools. So we did get to go to New York and we went to Cleveland. And so I had a little fun doing those things. But this is just me chilling out. Originally, I was going to take my wife and daughter, but they can't go now because of other commitments. But it's just me chilling out, hanging out with a bunch of Star Trek fans and friends and just enjoying a nice weekend out and doing fun stuff and talking Star Trek, you know, and, and just living Star Trek. It's like, I miss Star Trek Las Vegas. You know, it's been years now, you know, I guess two years, three years. I can't even remember since I've last been there and it is Chicago, like you said, and I love Chicago as a city and look, you're going to be there in spirit. We're going to be thinking about you and who knows, I might even call you at some point. Oh, that would be amazing. I'm, I'm, can't wait to hear all about this convention. Uh, the guests, like I said, they've got a ton going. I won't necessarily go through all of them, but we've got, you know, William Shatner, George Takei, Kate Mulgrew. Uh, we've got Anson Mount, so a bunch of captains there. Will Wheaton, of course. Michelle Hurd from Picard. I would love to see her at a convention. Doug Jones, Anthony Rapp. Alexander Siddig is one that, like, I don't see his name on convention lists very often. And Bashir is one of my favorite characters. I'd love to see that guy. Issa Briones, Noah Averback Katz, I mean, friend of the show, I should say. Oh, and Annie Wershing, the new Borg queen. Like, she's been killing it on Picard the last few weeks, and she would be really great to see as well. Yeah, I'm anxious to see the new Borg Queen because, yeah, I'm loving what's happening on Picard right now. Uh, David Ajala, another one I'd love to meet book. How cool would that be? Yeah. And James Cromwell. I don't think that I've ever seen him, at least not on any uh, convention that I had a chance to go to or anything like that. I don't remember seeing him as a guest. Zephram Cochran himself from First Contact or Farmer Hoggett from Babe. I don't know how you best know him, but uh, James Cromwell is someone I'd love to meet. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it goes on and on, right? (laughs) I mean, there's just Mm -hmm. more and more people every day. I'm sure there's people that have been added since we recorded this episode. And we even have Tawny Newsom and Jack Quaid from Lower Decks. And this will be the first time I'll see anybody associated with that series. And recently announced, too, is Ken Mitchell, and he was tweeting that this may likely be one of his very last conventions, sadly, of course, with his battle with ALS. A huge part of the fandom right now. Uh, Ken Mitchell, of course, played Cole and Cole Shaw in Discovery and Aurelio as well. 
and Tanavik, <laughs> very prolific in discovery and just a, a tragic story around him, but such an amazing, warm person with the fans and stuff. So that would be incredible to see him there. If, if I get to see him, give him a hug. I'll give him a hug from you too. Oh, that would be amazing for sure. He did say on his Twitter, come by and give him a hug. And then uh, the last two that I just want to mention, just because they're pretty cool and I'd love to see both of them, Ian Alexander and Blue Del Barrio from Discovery, Gray and Adira. I would love to see the two of them. Yeah, you just know they got to be hanging out together, right? <laughs> totally. Luckily, everybody can see Ian Alexander this time. It's not just Blue Del Barrio that can see him. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. But, you know, there isn't anybody here that I don't want to see, right? I want to see mm-hmm. all these people. I want to see all the fans there. I want to see everybody. And, and then even on my panel, as of today as we're recording, Dayton Ward is now going to be joining my book panel. And uh, we already have John Jackson Miller as part of that, too. And so this has been kind of on again, off again. There's been people who are like, yeah, I'm on. Oh, wait, now I'm not coming. And other people saying, oh, I'm not coming. Oh, wait, now I am. So it's been changing. But I think we've got a solid panel now. I think we're at the final stages of putting this together. And it's Friday, April 8th at 1.45 p.m. So come by. I forget where it is exactly, but... It's on the app and it will be on the website and all that stuff. So come look for us. Yeah, definitely check out that panel. I I would love to be there for that. And of course, it's going to be all about Star Trek books and you've got a pretty good panel of guests lined up for sure. Yeah. And we may even have some giveaways and if the logistics work out. That's cool. And so, yeah, um, also new to the panel. I can't remember who if I mentioned this before, but Jesse Gender is part of from YouTube is going to be on the panel. Chrissy from Infinite Diversity is going to be on that from that podcast. So, yeah, it's a mix of fans and podcasters. So check it out. Excellent. And authors, too. So that's going to be a lot of fun for sure. Oh, yeah. Then there's the authors. But, yeah, who cares about them? <laughs> Well, speaking of authors, the one last thing that I wanted to bring up is the kind of elephant in the room as far as Star Trek books go this year. We've got two, and they're later in the year. Like, the Star Trek book schedule is pretty thin this year, which is really unfortunate. And there have been fans asking about it and trying to figure out what's going on and stuff. And I just wanted to share a comment made by David Mack that kind of is explaining a little bit about what's going on. Uh, So David Mack says it's multiple factors amplifying one another. So this is kind of the reason behind why there's not a lot of Star Trek books coming out this year. So, number one, global supply chain disruption causes shortages of paper at printing companies causing backlogs in printing of books. Two, the publisher had to renegotiate its license with Star Trek, and because of the pandemic, those negotiations were delayed. Three, the need to coordinate new novels with the new series resulted in some ideas being postponed and others being cancelled or rejected. Four, disruptions to American shipping means lots of books can't be moved from their warehouse to retailers. And five, even once these hurdles started to be cleared, it takes up to a year to get the regular machinery of publishing monthly titles running again. So that kind of, uh, that's kind of interesting that it's, it's not just any one thing. It's this kind of avalanche of things that have come together to deprive us of our 
formerly monthly Star Trek novels. Yeah, I've been meaning to talk to you that we need to figure out what novels we're going to do here on the show for a while until we get some new ones coming in. (laughs) So because of the panel, I've been working with Simon Schuster and we want to talk about and promote anything new that's coming up. So they did send me their updated list and the Star Trek cookbook is coming out in September, on September 20th. And then we have the Una McCormick novel for Star Trek Picard, Second Self. That's coming out September 13th. That originally, I think, was supposed to be in May or April. Something something like like that. that. Yeah, early this year, yeah. So that got pushed to September. And then we talked about this not that long ago, but David Mack has a new book, Star Trek Harm's Way, that is a TOS slash kind of Vanguard novel. And that comes out December 13th. Not that this is anything new, but the paperback version of John Jackson Miller's Rogue Elements for Star Trek Picard comes out in June as a paperback version. And there may be a special announcement at the panel, but that's all I can say. I don't know yet, but maybe there's more to come. (laughs) Yeah, go to that panel. Go to that panel. You never know. You might learn something there first before anyone else. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Well, yeah, uh, like I said, Star Trek Mission Chicago, please go enjoy. I will live it vicariously through everybody telling their stories and posting stuff online. I can't wait to hear everybody's convention stories. I know we're all just aching to get back to conventions and stuff after these last couple of years. So, uh, and while you're there, go to Bruce's panel and uh, check that out. Well, let's take a brief break. And when we come back, let's talk about the newest episode of Star Trek Picard, season two, episode four, Watcher. Thank you to you, our listeners, for supporting Positively Trek and to especially our patrons on Patreon. If you would like to contribute to Positively Trek and be a patron on Patreon, visit patreon.com slash positively track you'll get perks like early access to episodes and bonus content and for those who are in the higher levels you get shout outs and associate producer credits and much more and speaking of shout outs let's give a shout out to carl morris joyce Marin, jim stoffel dave garcia rick young paul d kinnear and john blaber thank you all for your support now let's go back to the show humankind will change You must be patient. You know who has the luxury of patience here? Someone who looks like you and not like me. This world had more potential than I had ever imagined. But the hatred here, it never ends. Just swaps clothes. This century took off a hood and put on a suit. So episode four of season two, and we're really getting into the story now. And this is something that I've talked about with regards to Star Trek in the modern era, at least the couple of shows that we've gotten so far, is this feeling that each episode is like a chapter of a book. And Star Trek Picard season two seems almost even more so than any season we've gotten before, where it really feels like the end comes at a point where I'm not expecting it. And I'm like, oh, I just want to get the next chapter now. This episode really felt like that to me. And and we're right smack in the middle of this ongoing story of Picard and his ragtag crew back in time to fix 
whatever manipulation has happened to screw up the timeline. So, Bruce, you've had a chance to watch this episode a couple times. Is that right? Yeah, I watched it the morning it came out on Thursday on Paramount Plus, And then I watched it. We're recording on a Saturday. So I watched it about three hours ago uh, with my wife who just saw it for the first time. So it's a bit fresh in my memory. Nice. Well, I might be relying on you a little bit because I just watched it the one time uh, so far. Of course, I always like to watch them a couple times, but I haven't had a chance to watch it a second time before we record. But it's still pretty fresh in my mind because there's some really memorable things in this episode. And also a lot of things that have been generating a lot of fan speculation slash debate slash argument slash ranting online. So uh, we'll probably get into some of those things for sure. That's why I'm really looking forward to talking about this episode, because unlike most episodes of Star Trek, this one has me thinking a lot about different things that I go, oh, I want to talk about that. Oh, I want to talk about that. Usually when I watch a Star Trek episode, there's like, you know, a few things I think, oh, I, I'm looking forward to talking about this. And I think about this one, there was a bunch of things. And even watching it the second time where it was my wife's first time, she was asking me more questions at the end of the episode than she usually does. So, hmm. yeah, there's a lot going on in here. Interesting. Well, I have a I have a feeling about what part of the episode we're going to be doing a lot of that focus on and I'm I'm excited for that. But let's let's talk about the beginning of the episode. I've I've got some rough notes. We'll kind of go through this episode. So, uh we've got Picard and Girardi at Chateau Picard where where they've crash landed here. And we find out that the chateau is abandoned at this point in time, which is why it was safe for them to kind of crash on the land there. And we learn that the chateau was used as a base by the occupying Nazis during the Second World War in France there. And and the Picards hid in the passageways beneath and fled after uh, after World War II and won't be back for generations. And one of my favorite moments, and I had to pause because it was just like, I can't believe they just did that, was when Gerardi asks, oh, where did they go? And Picard says, oh, England. And I'm like, just like that. Just like that. They've explained Patrick Stewart's accent, p- playing Picard with, an, with a British accent. After I all these it. years. I love it so much. (laughs) (laughs) I do too. That just, that, I mean, yeah, I thought, Oh, that's a brilliant idea. I never even thought of it in my kind of head canon, I just thought, well, you know, maybe he had relatives from England that just kind of settled there at the chateau and maybe that area of France in the future. There's a lot of people from England that settled in that area. And so it more is heavy on the British English accent more so than the French accent. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, to think that this has been, you know, in their family for generations, you wouldn't think that they would have these kind of English accents. But then it makes sense that they were there, they're French, and they left. And centuries, well, I shouldn't say centuries, generations later, they return. And it's like, okay, that, that, that could make sense. And it wasn't in your face, right? Yes. That's what I liked about them about it the most was they weren't like calling attention to it. They weren't like going like, hey, hey, look, this works. It was just like an offhand comment. Like, well, of course, that's the explanation. That's always been the explanation. It's just I, I 
it finally came up in conversation and we kind of offhandedly mention it. I, I love like how that. you said that because it does seem like if you didn't know Star Trek well, you may watch us and think, oh, I guess this is something that fans have always known about and they're just catching us non-fans <laughs> up on it. We can we can fool all the newbies, yeah, and say like, yeah, we knew that. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> but I just love the idea of, too, of the Nazis occupied the house as a base for a while and all that. I was like, this is really interesting. Uh, you know, some history to to something that we we just assumed was, well, you know, it's a chateau and it's been in the family for generations and that's it. And we find out what happened during World War II. And it answers the question last week where we're questioning, where did they land? Was it in the vineyards Is at the chateau or somewhere else? It wasn't really all that clear. And I said, I was expecting last episode that he would meet his relatives, his ancestors, and I thought, are we going to get any answers on that? And we got it in this episode that, yeah, it's abandoned. And so no mm-hmm. wonder he felt comfortable landing there. Yeah, totally makes sense. So I, I love this scene for for that. Like, that was fun. But also just kind of the quiet moments, too, where they're, they're, they're starting a fire in the fireplace and Picard and Gerardi are kind of taking a little bit of a breather here. There's still the, the kind of crushing weight of the mission. They have, to, they have to do this mission, but it feels like we can just take a breath here and, and reflect a little bit. And we get kind of flashes of some of what Picard's remembering from his childhood as well, which is something that I'm sure is going to come up more this season. But what did you think of that? Like those kind of flashes we get any more insights that you think we might see here? I mean, a little, again, I think it was, I I didn't feel like we got more insights. I feel like it was just reminding us what we were kind of told in the first episode this season, that there was something that, tragically happened in his childhood and that there may not have been a good relationship between his mother and his father, or even with him and his father and stuff. And I don't really recall anything in these flashbacks that give us more information unless you pick something up. Yeah, nothing really more there. Just kind of like you said, that makes sense. A reminder that this is something that's going to play a part for sure. But what's interesting is we all have these experiences of living in a home or a school or a church or something in our past, whatever building it is, that we may return to years later. And you have those flashbacks. You feel the ghosts of the past that have been there. It's like, oh, I remember being here when I was a kid. And I I feel like it was yesterday, but at the same time, it's a little different and there's different people here or, or it looks a little different because some things have changed and it feels smaller or whatever. And then here's Jean-Luc returning to his home and it's in disarray. It's abandoned. It's not in great condition, but it's before he ever lived there, right? Mm-hmm. So the ghosts of his past are showing up in something that is before his past even exists. It's the ghost of his future that he's seeing in this building. And I thought, what an eerie thing is to walk into a building that looks like that. And that was your home. Yet this was what it looked like before you were even born and lived there. That's got to be weird. Yeah. What was that line of his? It was something like, uh, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm just remembering things that have not yet come to pass or something like that. Yeah. That was a great line. Really, yeah, eerie. That's a good way to describe it for sure. And I kept thinking if that was me, 
I'd almost want to do something like take a small object and hide it somewhere. Because if I ever return back to my present time in the future, would I pull that brick out and find that object I hid behind there when I was in the 21st century? Would it still be there? Yeah, absolutely. You know, just, uh, Go into those tunnels underneath the house and hide Data's head or something. Oh, we'll come, we'll come to that. We'll come yes. to that. <laughs> and then, yeah, be, before that, then, they also cloaked the ship, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting, too, because they're always having these issues with the ship and things aren't working and they have power issues. And yet they seem to have plenty enough power to do a cloaking device, which I understand takes a lot of power. Yeah, that struck me as a little odd where... Like, they're so cold that they have to go to the chateau to start a fire because Gerardi's freezing. It's like, oh, computer, engage the cloaking device. And, oh, okay, that's fine. That that was a little weird to me. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm, maybe I missed an explanation, but that seemed odd. I think there was briefly something said as if some things are working and some things aren't. It seems like you could probably turn the heat on. I don't know. That feels like it'd be an easier thing to fix. I could be wrong, though. Right. Or take a phaser to a rock. You know, there you go. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in this scene, we also get Gerardi giving some clues as to the number 15. And they determined that that means that April 15th is the date that whatever happens to change history, that's when it happens. So because she's got this kind of in her subconscious from her contact with the queen and they landed on April 12th. So they have only three days to figure out how to fix the future and they can't contact uh, Rafi or seven or Rios at the moment. So that's going to be a bit of a problem. Yeah. It only gives them three days. And I did think it was a little convenient that, Picard picks up real quickly that she's pointing out 15 on different things. But then I thought, well, yeah, maybe, because especially if she puts down the book and he just looks down and it says 15 and then she hands him a bottle of wine and it says 1950. Yeah, maybe. Those two I could understand, but like the abacus, was he really counting as she was moving the things? Like <laughs> That's what I one, thought. One, two, three, <laughs> four, five. No, that, what? Yeah, that seemed a little convenient, like you said. And then he counts at 15. Okay, I'll remember that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's move on to Rafi and Seven, and they're hunting for Rios because they detected his comm badge in the last episode, and they find the clinic that Rios was taken from and learn that he's been abducted. I really enjoyed a lot of Seven and Rafi's adventures here. And, And actually, first thing we should talk about is them on the bus, which I alluded to at the start of the episode, where we see a very familiar character listening to an updated version of the song I Hate You from Star Trek for the Voyage Home, Kirk Thatcher as the punk on the bus, returning as the same character. How cool was that? That was so much fun. That was one of those things where I really enjoyed it when it happened. I was like, oh, okay, this is cool. But at the same time, I was like, it's a little cheeky. You know, it's a little... I like cheeky. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like, okay, I'll, you know, I'll go with it. I mean, I did like it. Sometimes, again, I've said this before, I like these little Easter eggs and little things that they do. But sometimes I just, I don't like it when they go a little overboard and... Maybe they did go a little overboard in this episode. I'll point out one thing later that is when I really started rolling my eyes. But 
Um, no, but I, I enjoyed it. What I was really like concerned about was when I watched this with my wife, she remembers everything. Okay. When we're watching this and he comes up on screen, I'm looking at her to see her reaction and she's just watching it and has no reaction to it. And then I paused it. I said, do you recognize him? Do you know what that was about? She's like, no, what? I said, Star Trek four Remember on the bus. She's like, no. I said, yeah, Kirk and Spock. And he was, she didn't remember that scene at all. Mm-hmm. I was like, I, so after we watched the episode, I had to play that scene for her to know where it came from. She still didn't remember it. Now, of course she doesn't watch the Star Trek movies nearly as much as I have and what I do, yeah. but she never remembered that. So it didn't, to her, it was just like, Oh, okay. This guy's on the bus making music and you know, just shows how obnoxious we are in the 21st century. Yeah, see, I like that, though, because it's not, you don't have to know about all this stuff to just enjoy it as part of the scene. But for the uber Star Trek fans that remember that scene and remember that character, it's such a nice little tie back to that. And the fact that Seven pretty much says the same thing Kirk does, which is, you know, would you mind shutting off that damn noise? And you can see the like kind of recognition on his face and he reaches up to his neck. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I just, I just really like the song. I'm, I'm sorry. And he's also wearing that like collar with all those spikes that I'm like, I'm sure he started wearing that after that because, <laughs> because of the Spock neck pinch. So that was, that was a fun little, like you said, cheeky moment. Yeah. And I enjoy it. But at the same time, then I get all logical about it. Right. It's like, okay, why would somebody have a boom box in 2024 on a bus like it's just and then of course i'm playing in my head i'm like well it could be many different reasons it could be that this guy has always been obsessed with the 80s and hates airpods and all you know ear you know all these things these devices no he likes to be old school you know or i thought maybe he's this guy who's now middle age or whatever and he and his friends sometimes get together and do like 80s hangouts and 80s parties and he's on the way to the 80s party so he kind of got dressed up in his kind of 80s punk look with his boom box because who do you ever see with a boom box anymore <laughs> i think you're overanalyzing it i think it's a fun little easter egg for the trekkies well no i know but i'm just saying <laughs> if i'm looking at as like in story it's like why would this be here but you know what I'm, my point is that we never know the background to something there could be a million different reasons logically why this man would be on this bus looking like that with a boom box. Mm-hmm. you know yeah he just likes to tick people off <laughs> it could be yeah or he's one of these guys that's around the you know Grauman's Chinese theater that's like you know trying to get people to take pictures with him and get a little money <laughs> and he's on his way there I don't know yeah it could be I love that it's Kirk Thatcher I love that they got him back of course uh, one of the producers on Star Trek 4 the voyage home and he played that original character back then that was great Yes, I'm, yes. I'm so happy for that. <laughs> I knew right away. I'm like, that's him. That's him for sure. But mm-hmm. I want to come back to Punk Guy later on. And I think you might know why, but yeah. I think so too. Yeah, but we'll get yeah. back to him. We will for sure. Well, yeah, we've got, so yeah, this Seven and Raffi talking to the cops. That was kind of fun. Raffi's getting in the cop's face, trying to get information and sevens being like, you're, you're doing wonderful. You're good service. Raffi, stop it. Let's go. That was kind of fun. I enjoy their whole interplay. And, uh, from there they steal an LAPD (laughs) police vehicle to try and uh, chase Rios down. 
Uh, that was an interesting, we get a bit of a car chase with seven of nine at the helm, as it were. That was probably my least favorite part of the episode. It just, just the way that seven's reacting. It's like, okay, like she, she's driving so fast and all over the place. I know they're kind of in a hurry, but especially when she's getting out of the parking lot, it's like, just like, slowly get out of the parking lot don't call a lot of attention like Rafi's like you're calling you know you're cut you're gonna cause you know attention or gather attention of us and, so, and just drive around but my wife I didn't I forgot to ask her after the episode about it but during that scene when they're driving around at one point she went <sighs> like that and I thought oh god is she like uh, okay I'm over this whole driving thing but again it wasn't that it was bad for me it was just it seemed a little over the top but I like the interchange between the characters you know going back and forth and when Girardi finally you know they get on the comm with Girardi and she's like you guys need to kind of work things out and you know be in sync and all that yeah that was a fun bit and we of course saw that in the trailers you need to be on the same page you need to communicate better together they yell at her in unison oh there you go you know that's fun uh yeah that was kind of a bit actiony tropey i i wasn't that invested in it so much as you know the 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 fun bit at the end of course is that gerardi and the borg queen working together there's that's weird uh get the transporter working and they're beamed out of the vehicle as the cops close in on them and yee there's a little bit of a butterfly effect thing there i hope i hope that doesn't affect things too much that they just beamed out in front of a bunch of cops yeah i'm trying to uh, see how they explain that back at the station yeah they were in there and they just disappeared Sure they did. Right. right. So we think we need to get you some help. Maybe a little too much stress on the job. Yeah. So, you know, butterfly effects, right? Certain cops are taken off duty, maybe go for some sort of mental exam or something, and they're not there at a critical time. That's why time travel. It's so crazy. Like any little thing. It's not good. No, no. I mean, and you can't help it. I mean, we're already disrupting the timeline from just other little events going on and we're just piling more on top of it. Well, they get, like I said, beamed out of there and they're basically about to intercept the bus that Rios is on. And we'll kind of come back to Rios's story a little bit here, but that's kind of where they're left, right? Like the episode kind of ends on that. There's a bit of a cliffhanger with them as far as uh, what's going to happen next there. Yeah. Cause they're standing near a freeway. And I thought, you know, they're wa- it's like they're waiting on the bus to show up. And I thought, right, I want to see what they do. Are they going to just, like, jump in front of the highway and just, hey, stop, stop, or whatever. You know, I'm just curious to see yeah. how that plays out. Well, we'll have to find out next week, I guess. But Gerardi and the Borg Queen, again, Gerardi is just becoming one of my favorite things about Star Trek Picard. And her whole making a deal with the Borg Queen because she's still connected to the ship systems and they need the transporters. And she kind of makes a deal with the Borg Queen that like, I'll sit here and we'll talk and we'll connect and blah, blah, blah. You must be lonely, all this stuff. And the Borg Queen finally says, okay, I'll help and gets the transporters working. And then once they beam Seven and and Rafi to that side of the freeway, like you said, she just walks away. The Borg Queen is not happy. I love Agnes. That seems like a dangerous game she's playing there, 
but that was still enjoyable. Agnes, <laughs> get back here. Get back here. <laughs> yeah. She just leaves. Yeah. I, I'm really concerned about her, though, because, yeah, man, when she sent Picard off and he said, no, I need you to stay back here. I thought that does not sound like a good idea. I had the same thought at that moment as well. I was like, oh, no, this is not a great idea. No. <laughs> and you would think that he would think about that because she was connected to the Borg Queen. And now you're going to leave her alone with her? Like, uh, I don't know. Come on, Jean-Luc, think about it. But to his point, he needs somebody behind to bring them back, you know, beam them back and all that. So he can't do it, you know, because he needs to go find the Watcher. So let's, uh, I, I want to talk about Picard's story because that's a good lead into Picard's story. But before we get there, because I, I, I know we're going to have lots to say about that. Uh, let's just make a quick mention of Rios and his experience in the ice detet- detention cell cage thing, uh, where he's meeting a lot of people that are in kind of a similar situation as him. And the doctor that was treating him, she's, of course, an American citizen. So uh, as the woman at the start says, she'll probably be detained longer than she should and then just thrown back. And eventually that is what happens. But Rios is really kind of experiencing what it's like to be, quote, an illegal, I guess, in in this system and stuff and, and going through that. There's some interesting moments that are kind of played for humor a little bit, but there's, there's this undercurrent of of great threat to him here and, and all of that going on as well. Interesting kind of hot button topic issues that really pertain to modern day life in America right now. Yeah, there's that uh, about immigration and and how they're treated and also the pledge to the flag. You pledge an yeah. allegiance to a flag. That's, That's hardcore. <laughs> wow. Yeah, <I> like, <laughs> okay. And then of course I really enjoyed how he's talking to the officer telling him his story. You know, you want to know who I am? And he gives his name and the whole truth. And the guy's just like, okay yeah right you know and it does but when you hear him play out really what we've seen so far in season two it sounds ridiculous <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, my name is captain cristobal rios of the uss stargazer i'm on an exploratory mission to seek out new life and new civilizations uh, yeah he goes through the whole thing and i was waiting for that moment to when he's on the bus later, I was waiting for the guard to call him captain. And he did. He's like, Oh, you're going to see what's going to happen to you now. Captain or something like that. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, okay. He's memorable. Anyway, the story's made him memorable. I don't know if that's a good thing though. Yeah. And I like even earlier. And then I think even during this scene, you know, his, his nickname now is crystal ball. <laughs> so that was kind of funny too. But yeah. uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess I was really hoping to have more of Rios in this episode from last episode. I mean, I know we're going to get more of him as, as we go along, but I, I wanted more from him. I guess I wanted him out of there and maybe on to the next thing, which again will happen in the next episode, I'm sure. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I love the situation that he's in right now and how he's just kind of rolling his eyes at the way things are in the 21st century. And it's like, really? Is this what you people do? Okay. Yeah, I'm worried for him. Like, he's, if they deport him, where are they going to send him? Like, they don't even know where he's, I don't know. Anyway, 
that right. that whole thing. Seven and Rafi are going to come to the rescue, though, I think, for sure. <laughs> well, I'm not too worried because we did see something in a trailer that I keep having in mind. And I don't know if I want to bring it up, but I knew he was going to be on a bus. Let's just say that. Yeah, I remember him being <laughs> on the bus in the trailer, for sure. Uh, let's jump to the Picard and, and uh, another character story here. Because, yeah, Picard determines that, you know, they only have three days. He has the coordinates as to where to find this watcher person. And they can't get in touch at this point with Seven and Rafi. So Picard decides to strike out on his own to contact the Watcher. And so he's beamed to these coordinates and he sees that, just like the bar in the uh, 25th century, he sees that it's number 10, Forward Avenue. And you were making an allusion to something that you found just a little bit too cutesy to whatever earlier this is if this this might be what you're referring to because this was mine for sure where i'm like okay i get that in the 25th century maybe guinan went to that bar or you know picked that place as an homage to the enterprise d's lounge 10 forward but this exists way before that so like the lounge on the enterprise d is an homage to this place now that Either that or it's just the most ridiculous coincidence in the world. I think that it's either, in my head, I'm thinking two things. It's the homage that when she gets on the Enterprise, it's an homage to this bar. That she comes in the Enterprise and says, hey, Picard, you need a bar. And he's like, okay, where can we put one? And she's like, how about the 10th deck forward? You know, and they build a bar for her on the 10th deck forward and call it 10 forward after her bar. Maybe, right? That's one idea. The other thing is I thought, well, maybe she, when establishing this bar and she comes upon it, like she's going around looking at different locations. She's with a real estate agent. They take her to this and there's something about the 10 and the forward. And there's just something, something that's just telling her that she should, you know, because how things, just like when he reveals his name to her, there's something about, she knows the name. Why would she know the name? And why would 10 forward feel familiar? So I kind of wonder that too. That I kind of like that explanation better because the first one, I can sadly ruin it where the, there was a lounge on the enterprise called 10 forward before Guinan came aboard because in all good things, they talk about when Picard first came on the ship and he asks Troy, do you remember what happened when I first came aboard? He said, you greeted everybody. Then there was a reception in 10 forward and blah, blah, blah. So that was a full year before Guinan came on. So darn, darn you all good things. You, yeah. you ruined that one. But I like your second explanation. And I hadn't thought of that. And that makes sense. I like that. Yeah. Because, I mean, she's just that, you know, she she just senses things, right? And so there may have been just something about that location that she just felt right. Yeah, well, like uh, like we say, Guinan, uh, Picard goes into 10 forward and meets Guinan. And this was interesting. I do have to admit, and I've admitted this online, when Guinan comes out, it was a little bit of a record scratch moment for me. Where I was like, wait, that's not, hmm, I don't know how I feel about this. But I do have to say that uh, Ito Agayer, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. I'm 
I'm actually sure that I'm not. Uh, her portrayal of Guinan really sold me. I was within like five minutes sold on her as a younger Guinan, and I thought her performance was terrific. What did you think of her as Guinan? Same, really. I mean, I was sold right away. As soon as she appeared, I was like, oh, okay, we have a different actress playing Guinan. Okay. And it didn't take me long to just accept that. And it seemed like Guinan. It seemed more of a agitated, bitter Guinan. But that's because mm-hmm. of the situation Guinan is in at this moment. But she felt right. She just, she just, she just felt right. I mean, it's just like any time you get a new actor playing the part of a character we're familiar with. I mean, sometimes, most of the time, I think they get casting right, but sometimes maybe not. But this one, I think they definitely got it right. Yeah, I agree. And even just like little touches, like first of all, her hair, I think, is so cool. But also just the way that it flares out a little at the sides at the top of her head, just kind of echoing the like typical Guinan hat that she would wear later. It's like, oh, it's nice. Just a little hint of that just gives her that kind of feel. And then, yeah, like her performance, she just channeled Whoopi Goldberg's Guinan very much at a different stage in her life, you know, not embodying the same kind of calm centered wisdom we know of Guinan, but still just really giving me Guinan vibes. When we talked about the first episode of the season, you made the comment that Whoopi Goldberg's character of Guinan says that, well, she went ahead and, you know, aged herself a little because people feel a little uncomfortable when you never age, you know? And And you're like, I didn't know if they really needed to do that. And I agreed. It's like, you know, okay, Whoopi Goldberg's, you know, a little older, of course, but we'll just accept that she's still Guinan. She really hasn't changed. You know, we'll just, you know, just kind of give a pass at that. And so when this scene first started came on, I thought if they had done it the way we said, just accept that Guinan still looks the same, even though Whoopi Goldberg's a little older, we could have Whoopi Goldberg in this role in the scene in these scenes but Mm -hmm. i'm gonna tell you i could i don't want to say i don't i could care less but it was it this actress brought me in immediately within like seconds maybe but to the point that i'm like i don't care like i would love to see Whoopi goldberg do these of course but this was so good that it doesn't matter to me yeah that's exactly how i felt about it too where I was like, oh, it'd be nice to see, you know, it's too bad that they had to recast from Whoopi Goldberg. And then, like I said, after a couple of minutes, I'm like, oh, I love her. I think she's perfect. So, yeah, yeah, it was great. Yeah, I loved it, too. And uh, she had the shotgun. She had her dog, <laughs> you know, that Picard warmed up to, which I know yep. is Patrick Stewart's thing because he loves pit bulls, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I loved the look on her face when Picard just like reaches out and pets them. She's like, uh, she doesn't usually do that. (laughs) Which reminds me real quick. Then what uncle so-and-so showed up to take the dog with him. When I watched it the second time, I was thinking, is he like somebody I'm supposed to know? Or is he, I don't know. It was just the way it was done. It was like, is he like somebody that I should go, Oh, that's so-and-so playing that role or, like a cameo of someone. Do you, yeah, you know? it was. It was uh, Brian Quinn was the actor who played him. And Trek Culture, their video kind of called him out as uh, as a bit of a cameo. He's a comedian 
Uh, and he's best known as a member of the comedy troupe The Tenderloins, uh, starring in the television se- series Impractical Jokers. So I'm not really familiar with him, but the video that Trek Culture did kind of implied that a lot of people are. So, uh, yeah, kind of a bit of a cameo appearance, I guess. Okay. Well, then I did pick up on that. I don't know who he is either, but it just fe- felt that way to me. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, thank you, Memory Alpha, for letting me look that up really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Uncle Dale. Yeah. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the elephant in the room that a lot of people have been discussing online, uh, so much so that it has actually been addressed by the showrunner in a couple posts and stuff, which is a lot of people were asking the question, and I'm sure this is kind of one of the things you were alluding to earlier as well. Picard met Guinan in the 19th century in San Francisco. So why doesn't she remember him here? And there is a very good, very easy explanation as to why that's the case. And we'll talk a bit about that. But is that what you were talking about earlier when you were talking about discussion online? Yes. Okay. (laughs) And I will say, though, watching this the first time going through these scenes, I was wondering that myself. Shouldn't she recognize him? Shouldn't she know who he is? And then I thought, well, maybe she doesn't recognize him right away because it's been over a century. And I mean, my gosh, I meet people last week that I don't even remember unless they remind me who they are, right? So I'm like, maybe she's just not remembering who he is. And then once he reveals who he is, she might go, oh, you, yes. You know, so that was running through my mind at first. Yeah, I have to admit, when I first saw this, I was kind of like, shouldn't she recognize him? And then when I had time to kind of think about it, I came to the same realization that the showrunner talked about later, which is, of course, this is an altered timeline. So Picard, as we see him, isn't the Picard we know and love. This is actually the brutal general Picard from the Confederation timeline. And in that timeline, nobody went back in time to the 1800s. And like Picard certainly didn't to meet Guinan and stuff. So that never happened this time around. So, you know, the characters we see are not the characters from our timeline they just have all the memories of the our timeline characters in them but this is an altered timeline and the future they came back from is a would be the future that picard didn't come back from to the 1800s so that never happened in this timeline yes exactly i'm just trying to think how i want to say this um my explanation was very complicated and horrible, and <laughs> so. Well, no, it, it's it. You're saying this is an altered timeline, and I I agree, and I and and not in a sense because I know there's people who are listening, and I've seen some of this online where people say, "No, it's not an altered timeline. It's not altered until the fifteenth, right?" Mm-hmm. But to your point, the future is altered. So if the future's altered, then the past, which is our current timeline, where Picard goes back to the 19th century, didn't happen. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah, the timeline hasn't been altered yet, but it will be altered. And that's why the past didn't happen, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. because the point that Picard would have traveled back from to the 1800s, that's in the future after the change. Right. So that's been altered. Right. Which retroactively alters the stuff before because that's where he came from. So, 
Yeah. It's kind of one of those things where you kind of get the Austin Powers moment. Oh my, I've gone cross-eyed. It's like, I suggest you don't worry about it and just accept that that's how this is working right now. Which, yeah. Uh, yeah. You have to think of it as Q erased TNG. The only thing he didn't erase was these characters' memories of TNG. So mm-hmm. if you erase TNG, there's no way Picard traveled back and met Guinan in the 19th century. So, and there was no, and there was no meeting with Mark Twain and all that. So, because it was erased and that's what we're trying to do is reestablish that future that was erased. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like when Simon Pegg was talking about the Kelvin timeline and how like events from before the, uh, the destruction of the USS Kelvin could be different from the prime timeline. And he said events ripple through the timeline in both directions Mm, with the change. Yes. And I did not get that at the time. I was like, no, that doesn't make sense. That's ridiculous. Anything that happened before then should be unchanged. And then Star Trek gave us this example and I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. Now I get it. Now I see how that can happen. The events ripple backwards and forwards through time because of other time travel incidents that are now erased. So, okay, now I get it. Yes. And now we could spend a lot of time going through different things in Star Trek where there was time travel involved, (laughs) where now that didn't happen with whatever the Borg that came back in time, you know, like we could go all day with that kind of stuff. I wonder what Guinan knows in the future when the timeline is corrected Will we see Picard at the end of the season go see the older Guinan and will Guinan remember the meeting that they had that led Mm. to this corrected future, which I would assume she does. That's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I'm curious about that, too. So the other thing that people have brought up, of course, is something that we already talked about, which was the punk on the bus. So, and I mean, it's not spelled out, so you could explain it different ways. But the assumption is for us fans that when he touches his neck, he's remembering getting neck pinched by Spock. And if the timeline was changed all this way and that and that kind of thing, then would not the mission to rescue the whales not have happened in this timeline. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe it's just a fun thing for us Star Trek fans and we're not supposed to take it too seriously. Or the Kirk and Spock from the Confederation timeline did also travel back in time. And that Spock was the one that neck pinched him. So if you really want to get into the weeds, you could probably explain that because they had to deal with the whale probe somehow, I guess. Exactly. It goes back to what you said earlier when we were talking about him on the bus, and you're like, I just think he was there just for fun, you know, just for us fans. And yeah, that's all it really was. But yeah, if you really think about it through this, I would think that, yeah, the probe is going to show up, you know, ultra timeline or not, that should not affect the probe. I mean, if anything... Mm -hmm. More than likely in this ultra timeline, the probe probably has even more reason to not hear from whales because this is not a positive future where whales would have existed past, you know, into the 23rd century. So I'm sure George and Gracie (laughs) were there and (laughs) someone did something and the events may have played out differently on the bus even, you know, Kirk and Spock could have been on the bus with punk guy and just. You know, maybe it wasn't a nerve pinch. Maybe they choked him. 
you know maybe they i think i even saw david maxey online they could have did the kirk karate chop or whatever <laughs> you know it's like there you go yeah. it could have played out a little differently but still had the same results yeah that's a good point i now i'm curious i want to see the series of comics that has all of these events but in that other timeline or something that'd be kind of cool <laughs> yes but then going back to what you said earlier about this being an altered timeline. And I'm like, well, it hasn't been altered yet, but if this did happen, it really is an altered timeline because punk guy was confronted from a different Kirk and Spock than what Mm -hmm. our time. Oh, now, now I'm getting a headache (laughs) (laughs) to quote miles O'Brien. I hate temporal mechanics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I know why. Well, let's uh let's get towards the end of this episode. So, yeah, we've got this Picard guy in meeting and when he gives her his name, she recognizes something and takes him to see the watcher. And we get kind of this moment of this entity possessing the bodies of people leading Picard to this place. Anybody who's seen the television series Travelers, by the way, this really reminded me of that, where they send messages back through time by like taking over the bodies of a little kid who goes and gives the message to their agent and then snaps out of it. And the kid's like, why am I here? And then walks away. I was like, that was bugging me the whole time I was watching this episode. I was like, what is this reminding me of? I just had to get off that off my chest because that was bugging me for a lot longer than it should have. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't watched that show, but I, I do know what you're talking about. So, I, I mean, I know the show. I just never mm-hmm. really watched it. It's very good, by the way. It's one of the few shows I feel like has a really good like beginning, middle, and end. And it's like wrapped up and it's nicely done. I really liked it. Cool, so. yeah. I'll put that on the list, too. Well, Picard gets led, like I said, to the Watcher and the Watcher, her back is to Picard and she turns around and it's Laris, maybe? It's Orla Brady anyway, but with rounded ears, she's not a Romulan. What's going on? What? I, what? I don't get it. And I'm so curious as to what this is all about. Well, it's pretty obvious that they just start running out of budget, so they couldn't afford to do the ears anymore on her, so <laughs> they just didn't bother. That must be it. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's it. I do have a th- my theory, but okay. I don't know. Uh, I think it kind of leads to what I was saying last week about Gary Seven, and I think that this is ISIS, and- oh. I think that Isis took the form of Laris so that Picard will follow Laris. But then you would ask, well, then why Laris as a human, not as a Romulan? Because Laris is standing in a park in the 21st century and doesn't want to, you know, call attention to pointed ears and such. And so takes on the form of Laris, but in a human form to attract Picard to follow her through that. The door. Makes sense. Yes. Interesting. Well, yes. So Gary Seven, there was a couple things that that twigged me on to the idea of Gary Seven and his people too, because Guinan says they call themselves supervisors. They're kind of guardian angels, blah, blah, blah. Gary Seven was supervisor, I want to say 197 or something like that. That was his title. So I was immediately thinking like, oh, is the scary sevens people because that was kind of in the list of aliens that are around during this time that maybe shouldn't be there. 
And then at the end, when they beam away together, that doorway with the smoke, that's totally Gary Seven's transporter type thing. So I think we're definitely onto something with that, that guess there. And Guinan keeps referring to the watcher as she. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, maybe it's not Gary Seven, but somebody like Gary Seven. Oh, yeah. No, no. Yeah. When I say Gary Seven, I'm making a shorthand. Like, obviously, yeah. it's this Orla Brady's character is the watcher they're talking about, it seems, well, anyway. But then I thought, is Isis, because I'm saying that I think this might be Isis, is Isis the watcher and the watcher takes Picard to Gary Seven? You know, I, I, I don't oh, know. Oh, maybe. Just, I, I was just, and it may not be Gary Seven. I'm not really too convinced it'll be Gary Seven, but I really start, I really think that this is Isis, also because Laris doesn't say anything. Just like Isis, when we saw her in human form, in assignment earth didn't have any dialogue so hmm. that that that's where i am today we will see on our next episode <laughs> if i'm right or not or maybe we yeah. still won't know by then <laughs> well i definitely think it's it's the i mean i want i keep saying gary seven's people i know in in non-canon they're called the aegis but i don't think they've ever been called that in canon so yeah i don't know i'm curious to see where that all goes but we do also have one other scene here at the end that I want to talk about, and it's Q. And he's in the 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 company that's doing the space exploration. He's in a jumpsuit or, or jacket that has that on it. And he's observing a young woman. And he snaps his fingers like he's going to make a make a Q change of some kind, whatever it is he does, but it seems to not work. And he says, How unexpected and unfortunate what is this all about what's going on there <laughs> yeah i really don't know <laughs> i mean mm-hmm. i haven't even thought about this one that much yet to know if he's the being that causes the change in the timeline events or not or if he's just observing and then he realizes he's lost his power but why did he lose his power? And maybe it's the watchers are doing something or I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. That's kind of my thoughts on that scene as well. I'm just like, I'm so confused and I can't wait to find out more. So Bruce, final thoughts on watcher. So as I said, at the beginning of this episode, I had a lot of thoughts. I've been thinking about this episode a lot more than I think of other episodes, meaning I'm just spending a lot more time thinking through things. And a lot of the stuff we talked about is what I thought through. And there's all these little Easter eggs in there that are fun, but sometimes I, you know, like I said, it goes a little overboard for me, but I, I think we're supposed to also have fun with this episode in the sense like, Star Trek for the voyage home, we're supposed to laugh and have fun at the situation that our characters in this. I think this is supposed to be not to be as funny and as humorous as that movie is in those situations, but to have fun with the fact that we can put all these Easter eggs into the 21st century and see how, you know, it's like fate just kind of makes these things happen. You know, there's just so many coincidences and I think it's supposed to be fun. And like I said earlier, kind of cheeky. And the thing that really made me roll my eyes at one point where I'm like, okay, enough of the Easter eggs was the cop car that had the license plate with all the nines on it. Did that stand out to you? 
No, I didn't notice that. Because in the car chase, you keep seeing the back of it, and the license plate is 999-99972. And I thought, oh, six nines, and if you add the seven and two, that's your seven nines. And seven huh. and nine is driving the car, right? <laughs> so, I did not notice that. That's funny. I noticed that immediately. I'm like, oh, really? Come on. <laughs> Seven and nine is driving a car with all these nines on the list. Okay. There is a license plate outside of Guinan's bar that says season two, episode one, which was the first episode of TNG that Guinan showed up in. Oh, cool. So that, that's kind of fun. <laughs> did you see Floyd's Barbershop? Yep. I saw Floyd's Barbershop and also the City on the Edge of Forever boxing poster. Yes. And the 21st Street Mission, which was Edith Keeler's organization as well. When I watch City on the Edge <laughs> of Forever, I'm going to think, oh, this is where Guinan then opens her bar. <laughs> <laughs> that's on the other side of the continent, though. That's in New York. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh. Well, that's, see, again, cheeky. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> But those things are fun and I enjoy them and like they're little Easter eggs. So that that's a little fun for us. But story-wise, over the whole time travel thing and thinking through things and seeing this actress play Guinan and what a fabulous job she did. And like you said, Girardi and the Queen and Seven and Raffi and, and their interactions together. And like I said, I would like to have a little more Rios. But the thing is, I mean, it's just hitting on all cylinders for me right now. It's like you said, we're like, now we're getting into the meat of the story. So all that being said, I'm going to give a rating of nine out of nine for seven of nine on the license plate. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. uh, I'm really enjoying this ongoing story. I'm finding it hard to, again, as I said at the top, kind of, separate this episode out as a singular episode from the ongoing story just because it it all feels like chapters in a book but I really enjoyed this entry I thought Ito's performance as Guinan just was killer for me something that could have broken the episode for me because Whoopi Goldberg is Guinan right but it worked. I really enjoyed her performance. I thought it was wonderful. I believed her. I absolutely felt my heart break when she was talking about, you know, the people around her killing the planet and stuff. I was right there for that. Great stuff. And then just the little tantalizing bits that we get at the end that make me really want next week's episode, like right now. But at the same time, I'm sad because next week's episode is halfway through the season and I can't believe we're already there. So this season has been going amazingly so far. This episode, another terrific entry. So I'm going to have to give it five out of five unnecessary phaser blasts because she could have just opened it with a tricorder. Come on. (laughs) There you go. Yes. That was cute too. I like that. That's so Raffy too, you know? So Raffy. Just because, you know? But one thing I wanted to mention real quick that I forgot about Guinan is I saw someone's review that stated about this didn't feel like the right Guinan, this the younger version of Guinan, that she's been around for such a long time and she's wise and she's been all these different places and she has viewed history for many decades and centuries, whatever, on Earth. Why this moment that really just pisses her off? Like, things are worse now than ever before? Come on. I mean, she she should know to be patient, to know that things take time or whatever. But if I was talking to that reviewer, my point on that is 
the difference is that Guinan does sense things that change. And she knows that this future so far that's happening in this timeline is not going in a good direction. It's going in that alternate direction. Now, had this alternate timeline not been created by Q, she may not have felt this way. She wouldn't sense that things are going to get better. But right now mm-hmm. she knows things are not showing up to go well at all. She can sense it. So that's why there's a difference. That's a great point. And, and I, I believe I know the review you're talking about. And there was another point in there as well that, that this Guinan has seen her own world destroyed by the Borg. Well, let's, let's be honest, probably not yet, because that happens way later. She's on a refugee ship escaping that. But even putting that aside, I would say the difference between seeing an outside force destroy a planet and the people living on that planet doing it themselves, I find the second one way more tragic and heartbreaking and would make me much more angry than the first one. So I didn't see that as as an equivalency. And also, I think back to things that I thought and the way I felt about things 20 years ago versus today. And I feel that I'm a completely different person than I was 20 years ago. And this is hundreds of years for Guinan. So she can change, you know, people go through things in their lives and go through changes and stuff. So I think saying that she's changed over the course of a few centuries. Yeah. Duh. (laughs) Absolutely. I agree. 100%. Well, when people want to agree with you a hundred percent on Twitter and other places online, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the underline Rex. I'm also on Instagram as just Admiral Rex. And then you can also email me at Admiral underscore Rex at yahoo.com. You can find me on our Goodreads group where we release what upcoming books we're going to cover on our book club episodes. And you will find me at Star Trek Mission Chicago. So come again Friday at 1.45 p.m. for our books and comics discussion. By the way, the panel was called Trek Beyond the Screen. Ooh, I like that title. I came up with it. (laughs) That's awesome. That's why didn't we call our podcast that? Oh, anyway. (laughs) Well, I'm going to give a shout out to Mark Herleman at the Star Wars Report because they have a Star Wars book podcast called Star Wars Beyond the Films. And I kind of took it from that. That's awesome. I love it. That works really well. Well, you can find me online as well. I'm on Twitter at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. YouTube.com slash Kurtrats Productions. Instagram, Kurtrats47. All kinds of various places online. One place you will not find me at, unfortunately, is Star Trek Mission Chicago. I'm just there vicariously through all of your all experiences. So uh, go have fun and tell me all about it. I can't wait. You can reach out to us on the podcast. We're PositivelyTrek at gmail.com and we're on Twitter at PositivelyTrek as well. Well, join us next week when we talk about Season 2, Episode 5 of Star Trek Picard. But until then, as always, stay positive. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.